right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast, wherever you guys are in the world, morning, noon, or night. Um, you guys are certainly in the right place. We are joined by an international superstar today. Yes, this is Barney Mannerings, reigning from the good town of London. Uh, Barney is the co-founder of Vega Protocol. So we're going to dive into options and trading and volatility and all that good stuff. Um, but first, uh, Barney, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, I'm great. Um, great to be here and uh, looking forward to diving in. Yeah, likewise. Um, and Aaron, Mr. Pizza Mind Malone, uh, my international co-host. Uh, only a few days left in Texas. Uh, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, to be honest, I'm a little nervous. It's a big, big change in life, but um, I'm going to step up to the plate. I'm going to take a swing and... Um, I can always come back if I don't like what I find. <laughs> but Brazil is surprisingly flush with pizza. So yeah. I'm going to try all I can get down there. Um, but that's not the story of today. The story of today is Vega Protocol. And I thought this had something to do with Street Fighter, but apparently it means <laughs> something different. Well, what is? why did you name this Vega Protocol? What is the real deal going on over here? Um, yeah, so... Uh Vega in um, in options pricing and uh, you know, derivatives, um, there are a number of kind of values, numbers that you calculate in the, in the maths, which um, are used to kind of measure risk in in derivatives and options. Um, and one of the, the most of them are sort of named after Greek letters, and one of those is actually named after kind of a fake Greek letter, Vega, because um, Vega is not actually a Greek letter. You won't find it in the Greek alphabet, but it kind of got invented um some some point back in the history of derivatives um as the the greek for volatility um and the volatility is one of the most important risk measures in uh, in trading and margin trading and, and options uh, particularly uh and so you know we sort of decided to name vega um after that uh, sort of in a nod to to kind of that uh, that world and that work that was done in, in the kind of creation of modern op options and derivatives markets, um, but that said, we do uh, we do like the association with Street Fighter Two. Uh, <laughs> we have certainly named uh, named a number of our releases and things after you know levels and stages from Street Fighter, and generally uh, sort of keep up the references to that as well. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. 
That's E-U-F-Y, video lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y, video lock. Eufy video lock. Get complete control over your front door. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I love that. I love it. Um, I had the pleasure of running into you guys at ETH Denver, I think a couple years ago, and you were handing out these really bright yellow shirts, and there's just a ton of people around the booth, and I said, this has got to be something that we need to keep our eyes on. What is Vega Protocol? And I started looking into it and uh, was blown away by the amount of not just talent on the team, but the vision and what you guys were building, because this is what's called a primitive in finance that is completely missing from the crypto industry. So this is a very important piece of the DeFi puzzle that is now uh, pretty close to going live, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm very, very excited to have this tool available to the general public uh, for the next big bull run. Yeah. Um, in fact, it, it actually uh, is now live on mainnet. The uh, validators deployed uh, release of the code uh, a few weeks back now, maybe oh. around a month ago. Um, and so, yes, it's, it's an alpha release and, uh, you know, wouldn't recommend that you do anything too, too crazy and risky with it. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, these blockchain open source things, uh, have lots of different failure modes and, uh, certainly we want to see lots of testing out there in the wild before I would say it's, uh, you know, fully tested and fully ready, but like it, it alpha releases live. You can, uh, you can get involved, you can send funds there, you can trade on it. So, uh, that's really exciting. Yeah. So, so Barney, in, before you were a blockchain um, developer and computer scientist. Um, you were building trading engines, um, and and you were involved um, deeply in the in the London tradfi space. Could you give us a little bit of your background? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a computer scientist, uh, sort of by education, and went into uh, consulting initially in um, sort of yeah financial services, capital markets. Um, ended up working with a number of sort of top tier investment banks, but also uh, for a good while with the London Stock Exchange building you know, trading platforms, risk systems, trading systems, and other sort of related technology. Um, so really saw the sort of expanse of how, how these things work, how markets work, how traders use these systems. Um, designed a number of releases of you know, some very high-performance trading systems like the, uh, you know, the London Stock Exchange's core matching engine and things like that. So worked worked across that space, and uh, you know, that gave me a real appreciation for kind of what finance and trading and derivatives really are and really are used for in the kind of in the real world uh, and also what the the sort of needs of traders to to get a good experience and to, to have useful products are and that's um you know a lot of that's come through to how we thought about and designed vega uh when it comes to um really like trading and derivatives and volatility where does blockchain really come in yeah i mean so i think you know the way i think about this i guess is that um we kind of have this sort of old model of the world, and that's whether you're talking about money and trading or whether you're talking about other things where you kind of had these big institutions that everyone had to trust for everything and that kind of, you know, sort of gatekeeper to, to everything you could see. And, you know, that happened with journalism. You know, for instance, uh, you know, we, prior to the internet, we had a small number of kind of, in quotes, trusted sources, and really you kind of had to get your news from one of those places. And now with the internet, we have things even like this podcast where, Many more voices can be heard. People can kind of set up and, and get information out to everyone in, in this most amazingly, much more democratic way. And I think that's been incredible. And I think you know, what happened uh, with the internet didn't happen with money and finance because you know, the internet came along, but 
you're still sort of reliant on banks and reliant on centralized trading systems. So Mm. where blockchain comes along is kind of saying, well, how do we do what the internet did for information and journalism and and all kinds of other industries? How do we do that for money and payments and finance? Uh, And I think that's really important to do because at the moment, you know, most of us, uh, most of us and most even small and medium businesses are often getting kind of screwed over by, you know, what's available and, and by those large institutions because they can effectively do what they want. And, you know, that's kind of, also not very global as well. You kind of have these regional differences uh, and, and it particularly hurts the you know, underbanked, unbanked people without access to some of these things as well. So I think, you know, really that the blockchain is about removing the requirement um, for those centralized things and making sure that everyone kind of has fair access. And it's also about, also about kind of removing the dependency on those things when stuff goes wrong. You know, if you if you are forced to only use the US dollar and only use uh, institutions that are, work in a certain way, then if those things blow up or if those things get devalued through inflation or whatever else, you kind of have no other options. And I think you know, the other exciting thing about blockchain is to kind of give people options that are outside of the control of those institutions or you know, political or, or corporate institutions that might might change things in a way that's actually not good for you and allow you to, to choose different, different ways forward to meet your needs. Um, and you know, when it comes to derivatives and, and trading, I think there's a very special set of requirements. You know, the things that actually work for 90% of protocols on Ethereum or on other uh, blockchains are actually not necessarily very good in terms of trading. And you know, a good example of that would be when you use something like Ethereum, you basically have this auction for block space where if you want your transaction to be processed, you kind of have to bid to get it processed. And, and that kind of creates this volatile and sometimes very high fee. Um, and that's not actually great for trading because it makes it very unpredictable and actually removes a lot of the benefits of the blockchain. So, you know, one of a good example of where Vegas different is the way that we have completely redesigned the fee structure uh, for a kind of application specific blockchain uh, just for just for trading. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. When I kind of hear um, the, the discussions about, you know, more transparency around order flow and more transparency to, to kind of level the playing field. It kind of reminds me of like back in, um, I guess it was like 2021 when Robinhood and the whole, you know, short squeeze happened and Citadel was kind of revealed as having all this payment for order flow and people were realizing um, that, hey, we actually can't sell these shares because they, they locked the sell button. And, you know, that was really their only, their only option to, uh, to trade on a lot of times. They had their collateral there. And so is Vega Protocol... I mean, you know, you guys were designed before that, but is it kind of a solution to some of the, the corruption that we've seen in, for instance, the Robin Hood and the retail extravaganza? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, you look at uh, the roles that, that go on in these places and, you know, the Robin Hood's a particular subset of the derivatives market. That's uh, to say it's uh, it's uh, sort of retail, but, um, you know, the same things apply everywhere. And you have these roles, you have the kind of infrastructure provider and then you have liquidity providers, um, you know, and, and then you have traders who are taking um, taking liquidity for whatever reason they want to trade. And I think, you know, what you find is you end up with kind of like you know, Robinhood providing you with the infrastructure. They also provide you with the kind of liquidity or the quotes or you know, the ability to trade. Uh, but that means they can take those things away or change them. You know, They can change the rules and say, well, actually, now when you press this button, this thing's going to happen instead of that thing. Or now for the next six hours, we're just not we're just going to ignore you if you want to sell this because our partners uh, providing the liquidity don't want any more selling. Um, and that's kind of... You know, that's problematic for a few reasons. It's problematic because it sort of it creates an asymmetry. You know, it gives someone the ability to 
exercise control to their benefit um, to the detriment of other players. And you know, the advantage of, of any you know, sort of open source blockchain-based network is that the rules are inspectable by anyone. Um, you, know, you can see what code everyone is running and if they change the code and make a new release, you can see what is being changed and the validators can look at the code themselves and say, actually, yeah, we're happy with this new release. We're only, we're going to deploy it now. Uh, but even if a change happens, it's going to affect you negatively. Let's say the community actually votes for a change through governance. Um, that change is visible to all. It gets voted for by the community and everyone says this is better. So you know, it's not the case that never will something change to make things worse for some users and better for others because maybe the current way it works isn't perfect. You know, the, these things, there's always a balance, right? There's always a way to try and make things fairer and perform and better and work better. Uh, but in the case of something like Vega or an open source system, you have that ability to review those changes and for them to be fairly made by the community sort of for the community. And I think yeah, that's the key. You solve some of these problems by creating you know, sort of extreme transparency around how the rules are changing and what the rules are. And, and real quick, just to dovetail off that, um, you know, you guys have a, a motto, uh, uncompromisingly decentralized. Does that play into this concept that you're talking about right now? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think, you know, the way we sort of think of that is, you know, look, it's decentralization has always been a scale and it always will be like, you know, decentralizing everything sort of infinitely is, is sort of unbelievably expensive and very difficult. And there are layers, you know, levels of decentralization. You know, do you have 20 nodes or do you have 2000 nodes? There are, you know, how, how distributed is your token between holders? Are there many small holders or you know, a few very big holders. Um, and so all of these things are kind of a scale. But I think, you know, we, we created that motto because we look at other solutions in the crypto space and we think that um, they kind of call themselves DEXs and then don't always act uh, in a completely decentralized way. You know, you have things like you know, DYDX, certainly at least prior to V4, which they have coming out soon. We'll have to see what that does. But, you know, where they um, are kind of like you know, an, an equity equity and VC invested company with equity where they have taken money, profit from fees. Uh, and so they have an incentive to make that profit from fees. And it's not sort of a fully open source, fully open thing. And, you know, that has, that changes the incentives and, and, and skews the outcomes. And you know, perhaps in, in future, they will address that. But I think what we've tried to do, even where we can't make everything as perfectly decentralized as would be ideal, we've tried to make sure that we're not making compromises on those kind of core principles and core ideals and core needs of users and traders when we when we make those design decisions. And you know, that's meant it's taken us quite a while to actually build from you know the first prototypes of Vega to something which we felt ready and comfortable to release to validators to actually run for users. Um, so we did that about a month ago, but you know, we'd hope to do that a little bit sooner, but it, it's quite difficult to get those things right. But um, you know, the upside there is that We've kind of started from day one without those, um, hopefully without those sort of skewed incentives and in a position where the, the sort of trajectory of evolution will be towards decentralization and towards sort of community ownership and community control and towards changes and, and evolution of the platform being in a way that's very beneficial for users. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's a misnomer amongst a lot of crypto holders uh, that once we have more mass adoption and the crypto market's more mature, that that means prices are going to skyrocket. 
and everyone's going to get super, super rich. But that's not necessarily true because although the average person is just looking to buy, hold, and then sell later, when smart money enters the space and when a market matures, there's more sophisticated products that these you know institutional traders can use where they can trade off volatility. They can make money when prices are falling, not just rising. Uh, and you can have, you know, let's say the price of Bitcoin, for example, just pinball back and forth, up and down like this, while holders of Bitcoin are not really making any money, but sophisticated traders are just raking it in. So it doesn't necessarily mean that when we have mass adoption, everyone's going to get filthy rich. But Vega Protocol kind of gives the average trader a chance to level the playing field if they're willing to go out and learn some new skills. Can you talk about some of the specific things that are in the protocol that people can do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, um, you know, you're absolutely right that uh, the sort of, yeah, it is a bit of a misnomer that, that just use of everything makes everyone make more money. And, you know, there are some some extents to which that's probably you know, somewhat true. Um, but actually, as you say, you know, actually something that's efficiently and well designed should not direct loads and loads of money to a small people who got there first at the expense of everyone else on the planet. Um, and so, you know, realistically, that there's going to be a limit to, to, to those sort of things. Um, and, and equally, you know, as I said, as you said, the sort of the things we built into Vega and, and things that exist in sort of sophisticated finance give people additional tools. Now, the downside, like you say, is that the amount of learning you need, um, you know, Vega Initially, uh, the, the release that we, we've just made is, is focused on uh, cash settled futures and, and soon um, spot and uh, perpetuals as well. Uh, and that means kind of derivatives products with margin, which are a little more complex uh, to trade, but allow you to get some additional benefits. You, know, you can trade both long and short, and that allows you to do interesting things like pairs trade. So, for instance, if you don't know which way the whole market's going, but you think... Um, that uh, let's say Bitcoin is stronger than Ethereum or vice versa. You know, you could buy Bitcoin and sell Ethereum. And so if the whole market goes down, uh, but one goes down less than the other because it's stronger, um, then you can kind of profit without having to predict, correctly predict the direction of the market. So things like that are really useful to, to implement strategies where you kind of have a something you think you know about and to remove some of the risks that you don't know about. Like it's very difficult to predict if FTX is going to implode next week, uh, which is going to kick, kill everything, but you might have a strong view that certain types of protocols or, or coins are going to do better than others. And that's a, that's a good example of something where if you learn how to do these things and how to manage risks carefully, um, you can take advantage of things in Vega. And then obviously, as we move forward, you know, the goal of Vega is to kind of give as many of the kind of professional tools, make them completely freely and openly available to anyone um, who wants to use them. And that will start to mean improvements in you know, kind of risk tools. So the kind of tools that you would get in a you know, in the sort of front office of a trading trading firm, which don't exist. You, know, you look at a retail platform and it's more like a casino. It's kind of designed with flashing lights just to make you click buttons and hopefully give them money. Um, whereas uh, really what you want is to be able to kind of size positions correctly and manage risks so that, uh, you know, you're, you're taking positions that are a little bit smarter if, if you're getting into that kind of trading. And I think so, you know, rolling out improved risk tools will be really, really key. And then, you know, as products get added, like um, like options and like swaps and other things, um, that will just expand the remit of the types of types of positions you can take. And you know, you're going to be taking those positions either because you are making a speculative bet, uh, if you like, um, on, on something. And you can do that over a long term, you know, over... You, know, you can size a position and aim for to be over multiple years if you want, or you can 
do that over a very short term when an event is coming up where you think that's going to have an impact on on some aspect of the market. Um, but the goal is to give people access fairly to, to all of those different types of products um, mm-hmm. and, and also to give them access to as much information as we can about those products and then to create a very fair and level playing field where the rules for trading those products are the same for everyone. Yeah, it seems like um, at least in the states, um, you know, government's really restrictive about leverage and margin, and you know, most most retail folk um, can't trade options, can't trade swaps, any any sort of derivative. And like you mentioned, it's kind of like you know, these are set up as casinos in a sense. Um, but we could go buy the lottery, we could go die for our country, we could go drink alcohol. We, there's so many different things that we can do, except. We can't, you know, uh, trade certain derivatives. Why do you think that is? I know you talked about, you know, some of the risks associated with it, but is there something, you know, more nefarious, or is it simply, you know, the the, the government's just not, you know, believing in their people? What do you think it is? And, and is there any way to change that? I, th- I think it's uh, you know, there's a combination of things. I think the the first first thing is that um, you you have a bunch of rules that were created quite a long time ago um, based on the kind of things that were available then. Uh, and I think even then, you know, there are many other ways in which people would complain about those rules quite often that I've heard, you know, people would sort of contra- complain about not being able to access as a, as a normal punt and not being able to access the best deals. You know, effectively, if you're right. wealthy, you can access early stage financing or, you know, equ- you know equity, uh, whereas things like equity crowdfunding, I'm not sure that whether you have um, much of that in the US. I, I know there's, I think there are some rules against bit. some of that sort of stuff. Um, there's a little bit over here in, in, in the UK as well, but I think, you know, the rules make some of those things quite difficult. And I think in general, people sort of see this thing that you, everyone talks about the amount of risk and, and reward, but actually, you know, a, a sort of diverse portfolio of a few quite risky things quite can quite often pay off overall better than, you know, a single portfolio of some less risky stuff. So I think you know, it is very difficult to sort of say that it's fair to, to do that kind of restriction, but it seems to be a thing uh, in the name of consumer protection that gets done quite a lot. Um, then I think the thing probably that makes it, well, I mean, obviously you kind of have some political element to it, I think as well, you know, where the sort of seems to have become politicized, particularly in America, where um, people sort of going on a crusade against things. I'm sure that things like FTX doesn't help because it maybe embarrassed politicians a little bit that they were kind right. of sort of working with and talking up this guy. And then, you know, he turned out to be a complete fraud. So um, you've got that side of things. You, know, you have people who genuinely think they're helping consumers. And then the other side, of course, is that in crypto, there's a huge amount of scamming going on, whether it's, you know, fake platforms that take your money, whether it's telegram groups that are advertising things that aren't true, whether it's people selling, you know, new coins that are not, you know, really what they seem and they're going to exit scam or even, you know, simply people just doing marketing and pushing meme coins, which are really just in the weirdest assets class, class that no one would have predicted, you know, a few years ago. And I don't think anyone in a regulator sort of knows how to understand what to do with that. Um, and so I think you kind of just get all these things come together. And at the moment, the US seems to be taking the approach of not trying too hard to allow it and actually trying to sort of shut it down a bit. And I think that's a shame because I think there's you know, plenty of good stuff as well as the bad stuff. And I also think the irony actually is that the the problem with the worst scams are that they don't originate from people in the US with an office in San Francisco who you can go and talk to as a regulator. They actually right. originate from other places, very difficult to shut down. And so 
you kind of have this weird situation where all the worst scams get to continue to get perpetuated because no one knows how to shut them down. And the things that are not too scammy at all, um, you know, projects and with real employees and really trying to do things and even companies like Coinbase seem to be on the you know, sort of bearing end of all this regulatory activity. It's very strange that the you know, regulators focus on what they can get to, even though it's actually not the worst stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that I think that sort of sums up how I think about that stuff. And I, I think it, I hope that, you know, the US regulators find the time to engage better with, with uh, crypto because I think there's a lot of benefit to doing so. So even though the U.S. doesn't want to play ball right now for one reason or another, what countries are out there that are picking up that ball and saying, come over here, like, we're willing to work with you, we want this industry to thrive? Who's got the most favorable set of rules right now? Sure, yeah. Um, there's a few countries, actually, I think, that, uh, that are interesting here. I mean, we've been headquartered in Gibraltar since we founded Vega. Um, they have been you know, making rules and uh, you know, trying to regulate in a way that's both fair, it keeps things... Um, keeps things sort of on the level, but also allows for innovation you know, for quite a long time. I think places like Switzerland as well. Uh, Singapore, I think, you know, is good for at least some types of country com, uh, company in crypto. Uh, so there's certainly a few. I think the UK is maybe making good moves uh, and good noises. Uh, and we'll see whether how that pans out. But hopefully it pans out well because um, I live here. Um, and um, and I think Europe is, you know, interesting. You have things like Mika where they've made some regulations and set out some uh, some rules. And I think it's going to be interesting because those rules do provide clarity, but also I think they're going to be uh, provide limitations as well. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that looks as an environment over the next sort of year or two. Uh, but I think, you know, in general, a, a good number of companies are engaging uh, and are sort of taking good faith steps to, you know, to, to enable innovation uh, whilst making it sort of reasonably safe for consumers. Um, and yeah, hopefully the U.S. will uh, will come and join them at some point. Yeah, and now kind of jumping over to. Um to just the platform that you guys decided to build on, I, I believe it was Ethereum, correct? Uh, so we're actually, um, we're, we're bridged to Ethereum, but we're actually a sort of single purpose app specific proof of stake blockchain. So awesome. um, we, we have a, a chain that's built um, using Tendermint or Comet VFT as it's now called, which is the underlying consensus layer that uh, powers Cosmos as well. Um, but our sort of at launch, our MVP application that's live now is bridged to the Ethereum chain. So effectively, you know, you use MetaMask to send assets to the Vega network, and then you use the Vega wallet to, uh, you know, to execute trades. And the advantage of that is kind of throughput, performance, gas fees, etc. Yeah. Do, do you envision a world where all the liquidity from, you know, Cosmos and Polkadot and, you know, even Bitcoin and Ethereum, it, it all kind of merges together or do you think that it really all the liquidity will be siloed? Um, hopefully, it merges. I mean, I think there's, there's there's two different ways to think about it. You know, there's um, are we going to have pools of assets that are completely separate on separate blockchains? I hope not. I think not. I think we have things like IBC. We have you know, other sort of bridging technology that's sort of out there. You know, Wormhole, Axelar, all, all these different things coming along. And I think slowly but surely we're making progress towards a world where. You're going to have you know, one wallet of your choice, and it's going to work on all chains, and the assets are going to sort of pretty seamlessly move between chains, and so really you're not going to have to worry too much about that. And I think hopefully, hopefully we get there because I think that's really the place we want to be in terms of you know, sort of interoperability. Uh, the other way to think about silos is kind of more, um, you know, are different chains useful for different things? You know, is it the case that gaming maybe you know, I know sits on Sui Chain or something like that, and you know, NFTs sit on Ethereum and 
trading sits on Vega. Like that could well be the case. And you know, even in financial markets today, um, you know, the CME has derivatives, the New York Stock Exchange has stocks, etc. You know, there's there's quite a lot of silos between different products and different geographies, and that's not necessarily a problem. But what is more of a problem, I think, is if you have hundreds of different places with all the liquidity because it reduces the size of trade you can do, increases the slippage. And I think um, crypto actually gives us some really interesting possibilities there because, you know, there's firstly, it's possible that you end up with you know, fewer exchanges in general and things start to consolidate. And I expect that to be the case. I don't expect us to have kind of hundreds of DEXs. I mean, we're currently seeing an explosion of innovation solving the problems that are out there in, in crypto today, but I think that will consolidate down. Uh, but crypto also enables the ability of kind of routing protocols and aggregation protocols. So actually, even with multiple sort of underlying source of liquidity, perhaps you can access that liquidity um, yeah, across across multiple DEXs. So I think I think you'll see things sort of get consolidated with some very clever protocols that enable um, your know, assets and liquidity to kind of be aggregated across chains and, and sort of remove those sort of borders between chains. Do you envision a future where Vega Protocol has a very robust order book that's kind of controlled by market makers? Or do you see it as more of a peer-to-peer uh, marketplace? And which do you prefer and why? I think you I think you are sort of going to have a hybrid. I think, um, you know, in terms of the overall kind of nature, I think it, it is best if it's peer-to-peer. I think we want to see, um, you know, a kind of equal network playing field. It's more resilient in that mode, um, but also... Um, that sort of increases the fairness if, if no one is controlling the sort of whole market. So I think, you know, in general, a peer-to-peer marketplace where, you know, one market maker or something can't run away and just own everything to the expense of everyone else. Um, but on the other hand, something that's always going to be true is, you know, there's always going to be institutions and organizations and people with more capital than others and who are better at deploying it, better at pricing it, better at deploying it than others. And so... Yeah, I think you've got to got to make room for liquidity to be deployed in in large chunks by people who can do that efficiently, um, and I think that that's okay as long as the underlying protocol is fair and everyone can can join in. I think where it gets less desirable is the kind of the centralized exchange model where it's not only do you have the money, but you know, did you manage to strike a deal with the exchange? You know, that's sort of there, there you get to a much more unfair model. If you look at um, yeah, centralized exchange in crypto today, whether it's Binance or even, you know, I think, I think even DEXs like DYDX actually did, you know, deals with a small number of market makers to kind of be the market makers uh, on their books. And so rather than having kind of incentives for everyone that are fair and equal to do that, you actually end up with a kind of a market where some people have a special status. And I think it's that sort of special status that we're really trying to avoid. Yeah, it's definitely that... Um that that relationship you just described i know ftx and alameda for instance alameda had an account where it couldn't get liquidated and so there was just you know on ftx and they were the same owners and there was all sorts of backroom deals and so i'm with you barney i think that you know blockchain and and you know when it's truly implemented in in a decentralized way as as vega's doing um it's really going to level the playing field and just you know make financial markets fair and open and exactly what they were supposed to be in the first place um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of great things. And I guess, you know, uh, one, one of the questions I had was just surrounding artificial intelligence. Um, you know, do you foresee AI, you know, being democratized in a sense where everybody could just be running easy trading bots or how will AI kind of affect markets? Yeah. I mean, there's, I guess, again, a couple of things here. Um, you know, firstly, I really hope that the sort of cutting edge of AI gets, um, 
yeah, sort of fully democratized. I mean, um, there was that kind of memo from Google that was leaked, probably intentionally, but you know, where they were sort of, we have no moat. You know, we everything is open source. The open source yeah. world is doing the innovation, and man, I hope that's true. I hope it's not just sort of leaked for purposes of you know avoiding I don't know, antitrust scrutiny or something like that. But so I hope that that's true, and I hope it continues to be true because I think you know there are a few long term dangers with AI. It could go could go wrong in the, the long term in a lot of ways that we need to figure out how to deal with. But probably the biggest short-term danger in AI is if a small number of people and individuals have access to this you know, incredibly powerful tool for managing and creating wealth that no one else can access. And we all become subordinated even more than we are now to these giant sort of technology companies and perhaps governments. So I think, you know, really we need to get that underlying AI tech, you know, the large language models and all of this sort of other innovations we need to get that to be democratized and available to everyone open source and we need to sort of protect the right of everyone to have their you know to truly have a kind of ai agent that works for them not an ai agent that works for them via open ai you know and, and i think that's really important um and then if that happens then there really is the possibility that um you know people can effectively deploy you know ai agents to manage their wealth and to to act in the markets on their behalf and um you know you can imagine uh, perhaps a future where uh, sort of everyone is able to participate in in savings and and in in sort of investment through these these things and yeah I really hope that can happen I think there's a lot that still has to be done I mean we haven't yet really proven um, how that will work um, exactly but I think there's a lot it, it, it's certainly very interesting to see and I think it could even change the you know the structure and nature of markets and market making I think you know at the moment we kind of rely on humans or very relatively unsophisticated algorithms to help us you know price assets and manage markets and liquidity and i think it would be really interesting to see how you kind of merge order books and amms and ai together to kind of have you know more automatic markets but much more intelligently automatic markets than to say a simple amm curve interesting you know there's still some naysayers about DeFi that say well my brokerage account works just fine you know every time i want to log in perfect. It works. I can buy, sell. I don't have a problem with this. You guys are creating a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist, at least in my life. There's a lot of people out there like that. But as someone who's worked in capital markets for 15 years before moving into the DeFi space, you must have seen a lot of stuff that motivated you to make this jump. Can you share with us some of the lessons you learned working behind the scenes? Yeah, I mean, I think you know this is kind of Two, two parts to this, right? The first part is simply that if you're in the UK or the US, your brokerage account probably does mostly work just fine. I mean, you know, it's still a sort of filtered view of the world. It's still a view of the world through the lens of what is profitable for someone else and how they want to to make their money from you as a customer. So you still have to look at them the same way you look at like Fox News or CNN and understand that they have an agenda of sorts um, and, and that their agenda is not necessarily the same as your agenda as an, as an investor or a trader. So I think, you know, but, but in, in certainly in, you know, in a lot of developed countries, some of those things do work just fine, um, at least as long as you can find some way to trade what you want. I think as soon as you get to other parts of the world, that, that quickly drops off and the availability of these things is much lower. Uh, but also... You know, it depends really what you mean by works just fine, because I think a lot of people, uh, just like the sort of Fox News and CNN analogy, a lot of people would look at Fox News and CNN and then they'd look at their Twitter feed, uh, feed and say, I don't get a full view of the world from Fox News and CNN. I like that the Internet gives me this much more, much more complete picture through podcasts, through Twitter, etc. And I think the same is probably true with DeFi. It's kind of like, yeah, you can if the things you can access are available from your brokerage account and the fees are OK and the spreads are fine, 
then it works just fine. But if there's things you can't access, if you if there's opinions you can't express, or if there's fears that are too high, um, then very quickly you just find you can't access it. You, know, you have no other option. And I think DeFi kind of says, well, there's a way to innovate past that. There's a way that you know the community can build that option. If someone sees demand to trade something, they can go build that market in DeFi. You know, and they couldn't have do that um, you know, with a brokerage. You try and convince, convince, try and convince your brokerage to make a market available so you can trade it, and it's not. It's going to be very difficult. Whereas, you know, in the sort of open source community in DeFi, uh, a few people wanting to trade something can be enough to create uh, to create markets and create pools and whatever. So, you know, I really think that it's sort of it's very easy to think about what you've got now and go, yeah, it's just fine. I don't need anything else. But actually what you learn when you open up the world to sort of permissionless innovation, when you open sort of open source code and when you allow people to do things is they, they do amazing stuff that you didn't predict. Um, you know, this is one reason why Vega is designed, you know, again, a lot of the decks as you see out there, the, 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 the programmers of that decks also choose kind of what markets you can trade on. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of set. We've launched these markets, you know, so we build a decks, but we've launched these markets. These are your markets. Uh, with Vega, we've kind of said, actually, we've launched this blockchain. It has no markets on it. So you guys go create some. And, you know, there's, there's three or four markets right now and, and there will be more in future. Uh, and similar to Uniswap as well, right? Uniswap has kind of launched, but anyone can create these pools on Uniswap between any two ELC20s. So, yeah, the, the goal there is to say, actually, we've created this tool that anyone can use to do this. We created a platform for innovation and a platform for creating the products you want to trade, not a kind of closed product where you have to kind of take what we give you. And I think that's that's the fundamental difference. And right now it may seem a little bit um, may seem a little bit like a toy. It may seem like it's not very important because most of what happens in crypto is sort of between crypto assets. You're trading Ethereum for USDT or you're trading Dogecoin or whatever. And maybe you can look at that and go, well, that's not useful. My brokerage account's way better because I can buy shares of Apple. But that's really just about the stage we're at. It's kind of about getting to adoption and getting those real-world use cases onto this stuff so that actually the innovation can start coming there. And then I think you'll see a huge explosion of innovation in, in the sort of crypto and DeFi space. Love it. I think that's a, just a, a, a perfect bow to an awesome conversation that we, we just had with uh, with you, co-founder of Vega Protocol, Mr. Barney Mannerings. Um, before we let you go, we just want to know, how can people stay apprised of everything that's going on with Vega? Do you guys uh, you know communicate through Discord? Are you guys active on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. So uh, our website's vega.xyz. Uh, and from there, you can find links to our Twitter, which is at Vega Protocol. Uh, you can find links to our Discord um, and yeah, get involved through that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and we look forward to having you guys back on when there's some more uh, big announcements for you guys. Mm-hmm.